0: The of brass. Carson this is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his annual appearance on the program. It his yearly slash annual appearance on Fangraphs Audio. He is the contributor to Fangraphs.com. And more importantly, more relevant to this episode, he is the editor of the Hardball Times and the Hardball Times annual. That is Paul Swyden. Paul Swyden is the guest on this edition of the program. As he does every year, Paul Swyden appears here to the end of promoting the 2017 Hardball Times Annual. We discuss a piece by Jeff Sullivan that appears in that annual on pitch framing and the end of pitch framing. A piece by erstwhile contributor August Fagerstrom, now member of the Major League Front Office, but erstwhile contributor August Fagerstrom on the conflicts between fandom and baseball writing, and also Jackie Moore, another erstwhile contributor to Fangraphs, Jackie Moore on drugs. Drugs, drugs, drugs. In addition to the articles, I ask questions that only Paul Swide would know, for example, which author submitted his or her piece first, which last, which is longest, which is shortest, and other irreverent questions and answers of that nature. And also those who endured this program will hear, both myself and Paul Swiden identify in real time a typographical error in this year's edition of the Hardball Times Annual. What it, what it is mostly, though, besides all those things, it is a deliberate and concerted effort to sell the sh- out of this book. To sell it right to you. Because of that, there is no other sponsor's message, if there were... Would be for SeatGeek and C-Geek.com. But because this itself is an extended advertisement, there's no sponsor's message. Instead, let us get right to the promotional half hour for this year's Hardball Times Annual. What is it? It is Fangraff Saudi. Who does it feature? Editor of the Hardball Times Annual, Paul Swyden. When does it begin? Right now. okay you sound pretty decent you do, i think you just gotta make sure because you got that beard i know your beard rubs against your shirt <laughs> right does it a little bit uh not not quite no, no it's something scratchy going on paul really yeah i don't know oh i don't know what i'm doing <clears throat> uh paul why are you making me do this tell me why <laughs> Uh,
1: to sell books
0: okay we're gonna sell books so this is a, this is another example of a shamelessly promotional episode of fangraphs audio. That's correct. And it's in our so at some level this is a question of incentives. You and I are incentivized to do this because by selling this book we keep our job. That's correct. Why would anyone what what is their incentive to buy it? that's now that's a big question Paul we don't have to answer it all in one sentence. Basically speaking, though, why why are people incentivized to buy this product?
1: Uh, well, it offers a lot of unique essays that you're not going to find anywhere else about the game of baseball.
0: Well, number thirteen, shock shock you, Paul. It that's one it, thing I've noticed.
1: It will shock you in, into awesomeness.
0: Okay, well, because I know one thing I see sometimes, you know, as the editor of Fangraphs, I'm responsible for writing headlines, right? So I've done a little bit of research about how to write a write a headline. So that it will gain maximum clicks.
1: Have you really? Where did you read this no. research?
0: No. The Internet dot com. But you got <laughs> the thing is you have to consider <clears throat> is you have to think about both the the sort of headlines that will just get you the most traffic, but then also because of the way our site conducts its affairs, right? We also have to maintain a certain level of legitimacy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So mm-hmm. I have to factor that in. But I know that sometimes know. if you're just looking for page views. You could say, "Here's a book of like how many, how many, how many pieces inside this this year's Hardball Times annual." Twenty nine. So if I would be like, twenty nine, twenty nine crazy, twenty nine essays about baseball. Number thirteen will shock you. That's how you get a click. That's how you get a click, Paul. But this is a this is a this is not this is not on the internet though. Although, no, explain that. Some of It is a little bit on the internet, isn't it?
1: Uh, no. Every year we put, like, maybe two or three pieces up online, but the majority of it is just you gotta buy the book for it.
0: But some of it's digital, right? Isn't this gonna be available via Kindle? Oh, yes.
1: Yep. And it'll be available via the Kindle lending library if you're into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: The, what is the Kindle lending library?
1: I'm not entirely sure.
0: I Okay, that's I, great, Paul. <laughs>
1: I, I think, it, gen, generally speaking, you can, if you, if you have purchased it on Kindle, I believe what it is, is you can lend it out to a friend, and they can, like, for a small fee, they can, like, rent it from you. Okay. But I don't know where, I don't know where that fee goes. I think it goes to Amazon and then to us, because I know when I sign up for it, I sign up for what kind of royalty I want on it, but...
0: I'm not the most. Can, is that one of the options? The yeah, most that's
1: royalty. Right, that's the one I pick. Yeah. All
0: right, <laughs> Paul. <clears throat> good. All right, smart. Uh, I want to ask you a question. I believe that you not only studied marketing as some sort of student, maybe a graduate student somewhere.
1: Uh, um, no, undergraduate.
0: Undergraduate, sure. But then I believe you were also. Um, I believe you were also employed in marketing as a member of the Colorado Rockies. Is that true, or is that is that fiction?
1: That's mostly true.
0: Okay, what are some uh, what are some principles you could teach me about marketing that we could then apply to this program to better sell Hardball Times Annual 2017 Edition?
1: All right. Uh, well, I think the the first thing that you could do that the Rockies were good at is um, getting Coors Light to sponsor you. Okay, that that usually works out very well.
0: And what is the advantage of having Coors Light sponsor us? Uh, beer. Okay. Free beer,
1: mostly. Uh, what do and they also, own? and also, sometimes they'll send uh, employees uh, of the female nature wearing okay. not
0: not entirely clothed, but so you're saying that that it's good. So what I hear you saying is you uh, combination of beer and barely clothed women, right? So yes. what you're looking for is is something things which will appeal to the baser instincts. Besides um, having Core's Light sponsor you, what's a different way to sell my product? <laughs>
1: uh, well, it might be to highlight some of the excellent work that's contained by the product.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I notice a couple of different types of advertisements when I look on TV. Uh-huh. Some of them, especially local advertisements, will attempt to enumerate the virtues of the product. You know, right, right. like Sullivan Tire. You're familiar with Sullivan Tire. I'm
1: Very familiar with Sullivan Tire.
0: It, certainly regionally, yes. We both yeah. live in New England, yeah. and uh, um, we were we are told by by a a, a, a go an Irish ghost of a man, Frank Sullivan, who, who has been old my entire life. I might add. Right. <laughs> we are told by him that how good the tires are at Sullivan Tire, right? Correct. Right, but then I see another another type of advertisement, and I'm picking somewhat at random here. But for example, I think that Old Spice, for example, Uh right, they deal in a sort of um, in a sort of marketing in which they do not attempt at all really to tell you how good their product is or not. They are essentially attempting to create a uh, associations with their brand.
1: Correct.
0: Yeah. Concerning masculinity and a certain sense of irreverence, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. So sometimes when you're when you're attempting to sell people something, you may not even discuss the product. You will only attempt to create associations to the product it, that make them want to buy the product.
1: Right.
0: Right. What are some associations do you think that would make sense to create with Fangraphs, horrible Times in general, and the Hardball Times annual specifically?
1: Well, I think it would be. Good to associate them with a feeling of inspiration. Like, read our book or our website, and you are going to leave so inspired about whatever it is that you're doing in your life that you're just going to go attack it with uh, fervor.
0: Oh yeah, and hey, would you say that it it be uh, we're living in uh, somewhat complicated times at the moment?
1: I would agree. Yes,
0: you'd agree. I think that's fair. I think anyone could could say we're living in somewhat complicated times, and I would say, I would say, Paul. Uh, what is there out there, if not, if not a lot of noise? Right. Uh-huh. There's a lot of noise out there. Uh, and uh, I, what I always find is that um, the excellent baseball commentary at FanGraphs Hardball Times, indefinitely included in this edition of the Hardball Times Annual. What I find a lot is signal as opposed to noise.
1: I I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, and I find I find people using reason, right? Whether it's uh, well, I was going to say Jeff Sullivan. I don't think he uses reason that often, but like <laughs> Rob Arthur, for, for example. some Someone like Rob Arthur. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Someone like uh, uh, Mike Petriello is included in this. Yep. Um, it would be hard not to point out the excellent work of Corinne Landry, both at com previously on Horrible Times and in the Horrible Times Annual. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but a real sense to say that, well, of course – in the grand scheme of things, is baseball important? No. Nothing – well, of course, nothing's important once you – depending how far away you want to get. But um, but it creates a lot of raw data, qualitative and quantitative. And what we have here is a document essentially that <clears throat> showcases people using that data, using that information and analyzing it in ways that are reasonable.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Isn't absolutely. That-
0: I'm going to ask you about some of the pieces and authors in particular. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, this is uh, uh, because I just received a PDF of it yesterday. It's a it's a sizable document, um, something for everyone. I think you could agree. I see Jeff Sullivan here is writing about pitch framing, called Pitch Framing Was Doomed From the Start. Yeah. That, did, that doesn't sound like it's good for pitch framing. What, what does Jeff say about pitch framing? I mean, uh, you don't have to reveal everything, but basically.
1: Yeah, basically the thesis is, the more people have paid attention to pitch framing, um, the the smaller the margins for excelling at pitch framing have become, and uh, I think that's generally intuitive. But what Jeff shows in the piece is that it's it's really happened a lot faster than you would uh, than you would imagine,
0: right? right. We're, of course, we're accustomed; to those of us who I guess uh, came of uh, analytical age. Uh, you know, around the Moneyball era, we're, we're accustomed to this idea of exploiting inefficiencies in the market. But this is an inefficiency that seemed to uh, that seemed to dry up almost as soon as it was identified.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is that it's a it's a fixable. Much like uh, with defensive positioning, it's a fixable uh, inefficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there's only on-base percentage has sort of endured because you're either good at watching you know you either have a good strike zone or a good eye or you don't right that's that that can be trained to a certain degree but not it's it's sort of innate whereas it's hard it's hardwired it's hardwired yeah whereas whereas agree. whereas pitch framing as jeff has shown is does not at all seem to be hardwired it seems to be more a matter of what you were what you were paying attention to what you what skills you were honing as you came up I and mean, we we can see, you know, catchers often compared to like a point guard in basketball, right? Uh, they have to do everything. So, you when you're when you're coming up, you're just going to do just enough to survive. And so, pitch framing may be the last thing to learn. And you know, he's showing that as catchers or major league catchers are putting more importance on it, it's it's being reduced in terms of its importance.
0: Can you imagine if there were? Well, who, I think maybe well maybe Hank Conger. Hank, what do you say, Conger? Conger? I,
1: say, I say Conger. I don't know if that's right, but that's what I say.
0: Let's say Hank Conger. Hank Conger is almost an example of this player I was about to invent, which was a sort who had the, maybe the best framing ability. A, a, a type of player, for example, or for some reason who possessed excellent framing ability, but, no, but very few other skills as a catcher. That would be a strange player, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah. And... Um, uh, but, H- Hank Conger is actually Jeff references Hank Conger in the article. Funny enough.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I always thought of Al, uh, Kevin Euclidus. You remember him? He was um, he had this he had a skill which was not a baseball tool, right? He had a he had an um, an almost unerring sense of the strike zone,
1: right?
0: Which is a which is a skill that turns out to help you very much, but it's not a tool. It's not a physical tool, right? It, or at least it's not a traditional physical tool. I guess to some degree it is because it's essentially what well, it must be a product of uh, combination of the brain and the eyes working working together. So it, it's physical at some level, but in a in a way that uh, arm arm strength is not, in a way that speed is not.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and but it seems like that maybe that that this uh, this idea of pitch framing at some level is related in that it could be an innate tool, like I mean, maybe Hank. Conquer. What is what does Jeff say about Hank Conger? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I don't remember specifically what he says. Just that he was referenced.
0: Okay. I'm going to ask you some other questions about specific content first. Let me uh, let me ask you an irreverent uh, and irreverent sort of question. Okay. <clears throat> or, or a couple of irreverent questions um, because we're marketing here right now. We are create, trying to create a uh, a, a feeling of um, irreverence and insouciance attached to this product, so that people buy it. Absolutely. Yeah. Who who handed in uh, who, uh, among the writers? Uh, oh. Which writer handed his or her piece in first? Uh, I believe it was Jeff. Jeff Sullivan. Yeah. Okay, Jeff Sullivan. Who handed his or hers in last? And oh. you should name names. Uh, August, without question. August Fagerson.
1: Yeah. When, when I when I uh, on the first Monday of October, which was the due date. I uh I asked August how he was coming along. He said he said he like, "Oh, I got a good idea. When do you want me to start writing it?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "Um, yesterday." He's like, "Oh, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> I thought I had time."
0: Now, we do know that uh in the meantime, following the playoffs, August Vegustrom has moved on to an actual uh major league club.
1: Yes, which is why I don't mind insulting him. Right, though no, I think it's great.
0: Yeah, do you think do you think it's possible that August was literally big leaguing you? It is. When he it, ref- I,
1: I don't think so because he's over the moon excited about his piece uh, and has demanded that it be one of the two or three that I that we publish subsequently online, mm-hmm. so that uh, everyone can read it. Um. So, I, so I don't think that's quite the case. I think it was more he had a lot of life decisions going on, coupled with the uh, the Cleveland baseball club uh, taking up a lot of his time.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned the Cleveland baseball club, of course, who made it to the World Series. He had previously covered Cleveland Indians for MLB.com, yep. and uh, of course, is a is a resident of Cleveland, and I believe he is from not Cleveland at the uh, school that is near Cleveland, where there was a terrible shooting in the
1: 70s, I think. Uh, Kent State.
0: Kent State. He's from Kent. He's from Kent State, Ohio. Is that what it's called? Kent, Ohio. Yeah, it's just Kent, Ohio. Kent, Ohio. Okay, that's where he's from originally. Anyway, uh, and August, though, writes about uh, the relationship between sports fandom and and sports writing, baseball writing. Yes. Yeah, And my, my guess is you tell me, and my guess is that he says uh, uh, he says it he confirms that it is complicated.
1: Not only that it, it is complicated, but that he, once he started covering the Indians, which he he did for the Akron Beacon Journal even before he did for MLB.com, uh, that he found his his ability to root for for Cleveland uh, compromised, and and he. He found that, that translated across sports to the Browns as well, which he also covered.
0: He covered the Browns,
1: huh? Yeah. he, he When he was with Akron Beacon Journal, which I believe is his dad's newspaper. Um, I believe his dad is the sports editor there.
0: His dad's not the owner, it should be stated. His dad's not the owner of oh, the Oh, no. No, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah the yeah. sports editor. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: he, he covered them, I think, just on Sundays because I think he was still in school at the time. So he would just be like um, an additional beat writer for game coverage, but uh, you know their general level of play, coupled with you know doing it for a job, kind of made it more difficult. And so what he does, he he doesn't just talk about his experiences in the article. He talks about he talks to a bunch of other writers um, that are beat writers uh, across MLB for their experiences as well and you know it comes off as a as a fairly uh deep piece Um, i
0: feel like do do you do you get the sense that august fagerstrom is a is a sports writing savant
1: i do get that sense and it's uh i hope he like in his spare time i hope he's like penning articles that you know like he's just gonna save in like a like a notebook somewhere Mm-hmm. And then, if he ever leaves his major league job, then we can like publish them all in like a series. right It so should then, be
0: noted like he's not working at a front office. he's just working as a janitor, right, but yeah. you
1: know, there's still a gag order, so there you go. yeah.
0: who wrote the shortest piece? uh Sarah Novik
1: okay, the shortest piece hers is is uh is a scant three pages, but it's one of the better
0: pieces in the book anyway. Okay, well, so that's one of the better. What's one of the worst? I don't think there is a worst. No, so it's like kind of like children, huh? Like you, like you know what the worst is, but you're not going to tell. You're not going to tell it to the public.
1: That's correct. Okay. But I, but I will say in in years past, this is the fifth year I've I've been involved with the book. The first couple of years, I just did the typesetting, and then I took on more of a managerial role. This is my second year having complete control of the book. I I do think that this is the best book that we've put out in in my five years, uh, you know, involved, of involvement with it. Like there, there really wasn't, like usually there's a piece or two that I'll look at and I'll be like, why are we publishing this? And, but just kind of just, you know, go along and and get it done. I didn't feel that way at all this year.
0: Who wrote the longest piece? You did. (laughs) Why? Um, It's not clear, is it?
1: It's not clear. Well, I think because of the way you formatted it.
0: Yeah. It can't be the most words. Do you think it's the most words too? No, because you have a lot of tables. You got a lot of tables. Yeah. Easy to read. I think that mine actually, mine will be a great read because you have a great feeling of accomplishment because you really whip through the pages. Yeah, because it's broken up into nice small chunks. Right. Yeah. That's what uh and that's what's been said uh's been said of me on frequent occasions that I am made up of small chunks. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh I see that Jack Moore wrote about baseball's in America's amphetamine history. Yes. Is it true that he went underground and um um actually formed an amphetamine addiction to better write that piece?
1: No, no, not just an addiction. He he formed a whole underground amphetamine trafficking ring. Okay. Yeah. It, it was uh, – he's, he's a different
0: person now. Yes, that's true. Are we all – can't step into the same river twice, is it? <laughs> no, oh, that sounds like it could be harrowing because, uh, of course, it's not unusual to – especially uh, in recent years to, to hear about writers who refuse to vote for this or that uh, – to cast a Hall of Fame vote for this or that player because of suspicions of PEDs. Um, But, of course, uh, my guess is that what Jack gets to here is that amphetamines existed for a while and long before uh, steroids or human growth hormone were present at all in baseball.
1: Right, and he he makes the point uh, quite well, I think, that it's not even a baseball problem. It's a military problem. And a problem, perhaps, isn't the right words. The, the military has very good reasons to want to keep their soldiers awake and alert, right? Uh, that's sort of the nature of being in a conflict, whether it's a war or, or a battle or whatever. Um, but uh, the, the point he makes, and, and he goes into very good uh, historical detail, is that wh- when baseball players and other athletes... Came back from these wars and conflicts, they brought with them the drugs that they were now inadvertently hooked on. Mm-hmm. And uh, baseball is one of the places where it kind of bubbled up into decent society, if you want to call our society decent.
0: No, I, yeah, <clears throat> not entirely decent, but I, I I see what you're what you're after. Um, there's a law of headline writing. Uh, right, which suggests that the answer to every headline you find is going is no, is probably no. Right. And I just wanted to test that with you um, with some of the headlines that appear in this year's Hardball <laughs> okay. Times Annual, okay? Okay. Um, if you can answer no and if indeed the answer is no.
1: Okay.
0: All right. Uh, we'll start from, start from towards the beginning here. No questions there. Uh, Steve Trader, is that how you say his name? Trader or Treater? I'm not sure. Treader.
1: I say Trader, but I don't know if that's right or not.
0: We'll call Steve – we'll call. We'll say his last name is Trader right now, but yeah. we won't commit to it. He has written a piece called 1957 Kansas City and the Athletics. What was that all about? Yeah. Does the law of headlines apply to this question?
1: Uh, no, because there were things that they were about.
0: Right. And you, you could say, what was that all about? If you answered no, that doesn't make sense, right? Correct. Uh right. Um Neil Weinberg. Neil yep. I know Neil Weinberg. You do know Neil uh, Weinberg. He's written a piece called How Much Hope and Faith Is in Major League Baseball? No, Does that's, be... that's
1: Gerald Schiffman's piece. Oh. I'm looking
0: at it says by Neil Weinberg. Oh wow. So you there you go. You spotted the first error in the book. That's yeah, wow. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Gerald Shipman. Uh, So Gerald Shipman's piece, how much hope and faith is in Major League Baseball? Does the law of headlines apply to this one?
1: Um, No, it doesn't because Gerald's piece stipulates that there is far more hope and faith in Major League Baseball than there used to be.
0: Right. And And also the answer no. Someone asks you how much hope and faith is in something and you just say no, that also does not make sense?
1: Well, sure, yes.
0: Sure, right. That's part of it. Mike Petriello has written a post called How Much Does Catcher Arm strength Matter? Does the law of headlines apply to this one?
1: Yes. I will say that it it
0: is... No, because you can't answer no to that question, Paul. How Much Does Catcher Arm strength Matter? No. That doesn't make sense. Okay, but I'm not taking it literally. I'm asking you to take it literally. All right. Then no, it doesn't make sense. Okay. No, it doesn't make sense. And finally, uh, Carson Tastouli, dumbass, has written... A post, or I've written an article called "Is the French Five Even Worth the Damn?" Does law of headlines apply to this one? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> it does. What is uh what is? I see Corinne Landry is now. I I get a chance to correspond with Corinne on a weekly basis because uh, she, she was writing more, and now she's she's got so many jobs, um, busy getting wealthy off sports writing, but. Um, she's written a piece called The Rise of Positional Offensive Parody. Could you tell yes. me more about Corinne's piece? Because uh, I, I enjoy uh, corresponding with her and, and uh, uh, looking into her mind. What, what can you tell me about her post? Uh, her
1: piece. For, first, I agree with you. I, I very much enjoy corresponding with Corinne, and um, I don't get to do it as much as I used to when she was writing for THT, so that's that's uh, that's sad. But... Mm-hmm. Um, Her piece is, it talks about how, um, while shortstop and third base, and I want to say second base as well, offense has, has risen across the board in recent years, and left field offense concurrently, excuse me, has fallen across the board, and it's, it's making for, a much flatter uh, playing field in terms of which positions can you expect to produce offensively. Um, And so she does a very good job. Like Obviously this year it it all kind of came to a head, right, because there's more home runs hit than, I I don't know if ever before, maybe the second most home runs hit, but there were a lot of home runs hit this year.
0: And I believe that uh, second baseman, for example, uh, its second base, of course, is a position on the positive side of the defensive spectrum. I, I believe that they produced uh, pretty conclusively the best offensive season by second baseman ever, and, and I and I'm pretty sure that even apart from this article, Corinne has written about that exact same thing in the pages of Fangraphs.com.
1: Yeah, and, and it's true. It's true also of shortstops as well, um, and so. So that, but the way she, the way she lays it out sort of refutes the idea that this is all sort of a 2016 fluke, right? Uh, She, she's able to show that no, this has been happening for quite some time and that it sort of just came to a head this year rather than this is some random spike and we'll go back to, you know, first baseman are so much better than everybody else next year.
0: Which, uh, let me ask you a question um, again about the, the sort of compilation of this book is when you were ignoring your children as you were editing it, uh-huh. what movies did you use to distract them?
1: Oh, th- luckily they're very pliable to most any animated movie. Um, right now they're watching the Bee Movie while we do this podcast. Um okay. They they've really enjoyed that. Uh, we recently purchased Finding Dory, which was the first movie my daughter saw in the theater this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see Wait, B
0: movie, isn't that with isn't that Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah,
1: it is. And oh, okay. Fun fact about B movie: uh, There's a janitor that appears, or a maintenance man that appears early in the movie, and uh, he's wearing a Mets hat. Uh, which which I find interesting because Jerry Seinfeld is of course a noted Mets fan,
0: noted Mets fan, and now uh, has your stance on distracting your children uh, with movies has it changed um, as as your as you know as were you maybe more idealistic about it when uh, you had just had your first child and but now uh, years later you say well fine as long as it'll Keep him them keep them engaged that's all I need
1: no I'd actually say I've gone the other way with it when we first had Xander my son uh, I was I was still freelance so I was working mm-hmm. both for MLb.com and fangraphs and uh, trying to figure out where the next you know check was coming from I was a lot more willing to let him watch, there were days like when I was first writing for Fangraphs and thought that I needed to put like six or seven hours into each piece to make sure it was good um, there were times where I'd let him watch like movies back to back sometimes and uh, now that I've sort of established a more level baseline of where I am as a writer and in, as, an, as an employee uh, I've I've pulled back a lot of that uh, okay. And that also has the, another thing that helps now is that he goes to school. So I have more free time. My daughter now goes to preschool. So I have more free time during the day. So I'm not always needing to distract them, which is also nice.
0: Yeah. He started going to school at 11, you said? He was 11 years old when he started going to school?
1: No, no, no. I don't know if I said
0: that. But no, no. He goes, he's in first I'm, grade. I'm now. lying, Paul. Oh, I'm okay. lying. That's what we call a lie. Hey, listen. Rob Arthur, I know him. He's been on the pro the program before.
1: He has, yeah. Um, Recently, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. He purports here to have solved defensive metrics, it seems like.
1: Uh not entirely solved, but he's basically what he's created is UZR uh but with statcast data. Okay. Um and so and he's, he's also found a way to account for horizontal launch angle and, and not just vertical launch angle. So it's really interesting stuff. Um, and he didn't have uh, the free time to fully form the statistic for for the book, um, but I, I think there's a hope that uh, he's going to, to keep working on this and, and really... Uh, give the industry something to sink its teeth into as an alternative.
0: Is that going to replace UZR?
1: I don't know if it will replace UZR. Um, UZR definitely has its place in the suite of metrics that we use. Um, but it's it's Rob's contention that, that his new statistic, which he's calling Lars, is a better version of UZR simply because it incorporates the stackhouse data.
0: And it's called Lars, of course, after the the uh, drummer from um, Metallica. Metallica.
1: Yeah. No, I asked him the same question. Well, first I asked him if it was named after Lars Anderson, the former Red Sox prospect. Yeah. But neither was true.
0: Okay. Yeah. Who was the most? Uh, who's the easiest writer to deal with? I uh, I
1: mean, again, is Jeff he? he not only turns his piece in before the due date but i didn't really, it was mostly camera ready like i didn't have to do hardly anything to just piece
0: he's got great pro skills doesn't he 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 does yes yeah i know i know this uh as editing this site on a on a daily basis i rarely I have to touch anything in fact he uh has submitted requests that i don't touch anything <laughs> so yeah. For fear that I might ruin it. And yeah. I have done that to a couple of posts. As writers, any of our writers who are listening to this post will know, sometimes I'll just add a typo. Just uh, a done, piece.
1: I'm guilty of that sometimes as well. Yeah.
0: yeah. But Yes, for example, in the table of contents to the newest edition of the Hardball Times. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. Neil Weinberg, it appears, is getting credit for two pieces. He's getting pieces. credit,
1: yeah. It, I, it, in the actual article, it says it's written by Gerald. so. Hmm.
0: Will uh, he, will Neil receive Gerald's money, uh, Gerald, the,
1: no, the payment Gerald, for the article? No, Gerald will still get paid.
0: Do you think and, Gerald and would be... Actually, little... it's not, it's not
1: too late for me to fix the Kindle version, so I will fix the Kindle version. Okay. No. Yeah.
0: I didn't like that you, uh, in the biography section, you, you did my biography for me, and, uh... You mentioned the uh restraining order, which I think I didn't think it had a place um, in the biography.
1: Well, you know, we're trying to be transparent here, Carson. And mm-hmm. uh, you know. Your your actions at that miniature golf course were simply untoward. Mm-hmm.
0: That's true. A lot a lot of untoward actions at a golf miniature golf course these days. Hey Paul, I think what we've done here is we created a uh, a lean an, an effective marketing document I I would agree okay so uh, let's say that you've fulfilled your obligation and not not to, I mean it's partly your obligation it's also clearly my obligation um, and uh, we're done I think fantastic okay so let me say this let me first say thank you Pauly Uh
1: thank you for having me
0: yeah you yeah, You say well you could say yeah thank you man. you're welcome and then I say that has been Paul Swyden, who is a not only a good contributor to Fangraphs, but also the editor of the Hardball Times, and most relevant to this particular edition of the program, the 2017 Hardball Times Annual. I'm Carson Testuli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.